right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts 27. Acts 27. We're going to finish our study through the book of Acts. And I am sad that it's over. Uh, have you all enjoyed this? It's been amazing. Uh, just to journey, uh, especially this latter half with the Apostle Paul has been fantastic. So we're going to finish it today. Uh, we're going to pick right up where we left off last week uh, in verse 39 of chapter 27, and I will read to start through verse 2 of 28. Acts 27, verse 39, and we'll pause briefly at verse 2 of chapter 28. I like to hear pages turn in. Man, some folks brought their Bibles today. That's really good. If you don't have a Bible, please let us know. Let one of our host team members or myself or one of the pastors know we will Gladly put one in your hand. All right, everybody there say amen. All right, verse 39. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. You remember that they, and I'll show you this on the map just to refresh your memory, when they launched out from the port at Fairhavens, a huge, massive storm hit, and they had to gird the ship with ropes. They wrapped the ropes around the ship to hold it together because they didn't have bolts, right? They had to hold the, they put the ships together with pitch or glue. So they, they're loosening that. They see a beach, untied the rudders, and then they hoisted the foresail, which they had lowered, uh, previously to the wind and made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. Now the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, who's in charge of all the Roman soldiers on board, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. And he ordered those who could swim, go for it. Jump out overboard first and make for land. And the rest, good luck with the planks and pieces of wood that are floating in the water. Do your best you can. And so it was, watch this now, that all were brought safely to the land. Everybody say all. All made it. After we, verse 1, chapter 28. After we were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. Let me ask for the Lord's help. Father, this is your word, not mine, and I ask you to simply use me as a mouthpiece, as an instrument, and let those who have ears to hear the word of the Lord, let them hear in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. All right, so here's where we left off. You remember they launched out from Fair Havens. I zoomed the map in a little bit from last week for those of you that were here. There's a little island named Crete. Over here is Jerusalem and Caesarea, actually probably down here somewhere, where they launched out, and they're making their way to Rome. You remember why the Apostle Paul is going to Rome. Just a real brief summary. The Apostle Paul came into Jerusalem and faced incredible resistance from the Jews there. And the Jews got so riled up that the local Roman governor didn't know what to do with this guy, Paul. And Paul finally had had enough of all the hearings and trials and false testimony. And he, a Jew, but also a Roman citizen, said this, I appeal to Caesar. 
And so the Roman governor, Festus, looked back at Paul and said, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. So Paul boards a ship, and this is something I didn't mention last week. He boarded a ship with 276 people. There's almost 300 people on this boat. Crew, sailors, captain, owner of the ship, a centurion, Roman soldiers, other prisoners, and the Apostle Paul and his two buddies, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, and a guy named Aristarchus from Thessalonica. They're all on board. And you'll remember that when the storm hit, remember, they launched out from Fair Havens, and Luke says, a tempestuous wind. How many of you have heard that word before? That weren't here last week. A tempestuous wind blew from the northeast. They're basically in a hurricane. And their immediate fear was, this northeast wind is going to blow us down here. Again, I zoomed in a little bit. Down here is the northern coast of Africa. And there's a reef called the Greater Surtees. And it's a shipping graveyard. All kinds of remnants of ships that got blown by northeast winds into that reef. So they got nervous, lowered the mainsail, girded the ship, pulled in the lifeboat, and just held on for dear life. And here's what we said last week. What a miracle. Remember Luke said they, 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 they weren't able to see the sun and the stars, so they lost the ability to navigate. And what a miracle. They're going to Rome, right, up here? What a miracle that God guided that ship all the way to this little island called Malta. You remember Paul prophesied on the ship in the middle of the storm. He told them all, listen, the Lord has told me I'm going to Rome. I'm going to testify to Caesar and not one of your lives is going to be lost. The ship's going to be lost. Cargo's going to be lost. But we're all going to make it. And so guess what happens? They Flying blind, sailing blind, for two weeks, all of a sudden, land ho! Now, they don't know where they are. They have no clue that this is Malta ahead, but they see a beach, and there's a little inlet and a creek that feeds into the main harbor, and so here's what they do. They hoist the main sail, and they take dead aim at that beach, but before they get there, they crash into a reef with mud and clay, and the bow of the ship gets lodged. But the stern, still exposed to the waves, that's taken a major beating in the storm, starts to break apart. So they huddle up in the front of the ship. The soldiers say, let's kill all the prisoners. So remember what I said last week. If a Roman soldier loses a prisoner, what happens? He pays the prisoner's sentence. So their plan is, let's kill them so we don't get in trouble. But the centurion stops him. Paul's won a lot of favor on this ship. We learned that last week. He stops him because he wants to save Paul. And here's what he says. All right, if you can swim, jump in, make for sure. If you can't, grab a piece of wood and hold on. And it's a cold, rainy morning. Does that sound familiar to anybody that showed up to church on March the 28th? Is it 28th, 25th? I don't know what day it is. I've been camping all weekend, and I have not slept, okay? It's a cold, rainy morning like today. And all 276 people make sure. And they're greeted by the inhabitants of Malta. And these people come out, okay? Luke actually uses a word that is better translated barbarians. 
And, and really that's just the way Greeks and Romans refer to people that did not, they spoke foreign languages, right? But these were Phoenicians and they're so civilized and hospitable. They welcome 200, almost 300 people onto their island and they build a fire. Can you imagine how good that must have felt? Probably cooked some food, right? And then Luke says, we learned that the island was Malta. You know what Malta means? Refuge. Isn't that so cool? Your Bible is so cool. God knows what he's doing when he puts a book together, when he puts a plan together. They crashed on an island that means refuge. People welcomed them, built a fire, probably made some food. And these cold, tired, weary, hungry people, among whom is the Apostle Paul, they get some rest. You can almost feel this in the story. <sighs> Finally, we're on land. Some rest. How many of you need some rest? Raise your hand if you need some rest. I need some rest. Okay? Been camping with my son and some of his buddies in the mountains all weekend. I need some rest. Okay? Rest. But you know what? Here's the interesting thing. Paul's not done, is he? He's not done, is he? What has the Lord said? You're going to Rome, and you're going to testify before Caesar. Paul's not done. But in the middle of this incredible journey, this frightful, tense, stressful, potentially deadly journey, God has preserved Paul, and in the middle of it, he gives Paul some rest. He's not done, but there's rest. Do you know the same God who steers our boats through the storms and the crises sovereignly and providentially according to his good purpose is the same God who belongs to provide us with rest? Did you know that about God? That in the same way he brings us through the storm, he will sovereignly provide rest. It's, it flows out of his character. It flows out of his nature. When God made everything, he did it in six days, and on the seventh day he... Say it, it's okay to talk in church. He rested, right? The Psalms say that for those he loves, he grants rest. When Jesus sent out his disciples on their first ministry tour, they came back, they're all jacked up, and they want to tell Jesus everything that happened, everything they did in his name. And here's what he says to them. Come away with me to a quiet place and... In Revelation, I know some of you avoid that book of your Bible like the plague, but there's some really cool stuff in there. In Revelation, at one point, John sees the martyred saints around the throne of God crying out to God, God, when will you bring justice for our deaths? And God looks at them. He gives them a white robe and tells them to a little longer. God gives rest. And you know what's tragic sometimes about us? Because of the fall, our fallen nature, our sinful nature, is that we have a tendency 
to take all the good things that God provides and twist them, pervert them, abuse them. It's true with almost anything, right? How many of you are thankful for food? I know I am, right? God gave us food when he created everything. He put Adam and Eve in the garden and he gave them food. That's a good gift from God, but we abuse it, don't we? He gave drink. He gave us the gift of intimacy, physical intimacy. And just, we could go on and on and down the list, our relationships, our careers, all of this stuff, our uh, just sort of this innate drive that we all have to be successful, to accomplish. All of these things that God gave us, our human emotions that God gave us, we twist them, we pervert them, we abuse them. And we miss out oftentimes on the good purpose that God intends for them. Can I tell you this? When God grants a season of rest in this life, Fundamentally, primarily, the purpose is to help us finish. We're on a race. We're in the fight. I don't know about you, but this life, to me, a lot of times it feels like a fight. I have to fight for purity. I have to fight to forgive when I'm angry. I have to fight to be generous because I want to be stingy. Sometimes. I have to fight to not give up and lose faith when I'm in a storm, when I'm in a crisis. And I have to fight to remember that even in the storm, when my life, from my perspective, feels like it's out of control, that God's still in control. It's a fight. It's a race that's arduous and long. And in this life that Paul characterized, by the way, as a light and momentary affliction, I struggle with that verse. In this life, a lot of times it feels like we get very little rest. But God provides it, and when he does, it's so he can help us finish it. Here's the title of the sermon today. Don't waste your rest. Because you know how we tend to pervert rest? We tend to think, only way I can rest, and maybe it's conscious sometimes, maybe it's subconscious others, the only way I can really rest is if I check out spiritually. Is if I sort of just step back from all the serving and listening to the Lord and paying attention to His leadership in my life, diving into the Scriptures, just stop and think about how much time you spend praying, reading your Bible, making sure you get to church, all those things when you're in the storm. That's true, Bradley. I do that, right? When we're in the storm, we get serious, spiritually speaking, real quick. Do you pray when you lack money? Oh, God. When you're sick? But what about the season of rest? See, the Bible says in Psalm 23 that God is the kind of God who leads us through the valley of the shadow of death and beside the still waters. When you get beside the still waters, that doesn't mean that he's taking a day off from you and just says, like, all right, just, I've had enough of you. Just be quiet for a little while, like I do with my kids and you do too sometimes. No, the seasons of rest are purposeful, and that means we have to depend 
We have to trust. We have to abandon ourselves to God's providence in the season of rest, just like we do in the season of storms and crisis. And some of you might be in a real season of prosperity right now on the heels of having to just grit and get through. Where you, you struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled for so long and you prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and then all of a sudden you made it to the shore and now things have let up a little bit. You're starting to see the fruits of your labor and can I just love you enough to tell you that season requires as much dependence and trust and prayer to steward it well as anything else. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5. I love this passage. I come back to it all the time. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. He wouldn't have to tell us that if we didn't have a bent towards being unwise. Making the best use of the time. So maximizing the, every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. What does that mean? It means we live in an age where our bent is to, instead of receiving the good gifts God gives and stewarding them wisely, our bent is to abuse them, pervert them, twist them, and waste them. So now here's the question. What does the Apostle Paul do with the refuge God provides on the other side of the storm? Let's get back to the scripture, verse 3, verse 28. God provides rest so we can finish well. Verse 3. So when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. I told you I went camping this weekend. I gathered a lot of wood. And I'd been studying this all week. And every time I picked up a piece of wood, <laughs> I was looking for snakes, all right? So he fastened on his hand, and when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, so the people on the island of Malta, they said to one another, no doubt, this man is a murderer. As though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. And they were waiting for him to suddenly swell up or fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune came to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in, the neighborhood, uh, now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man or the first man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, he healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came out and were cured. Now watch verse 10. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So Paul's gathering sticks, and something extraordinary happens. A snake, who was probably lying torpid among the wood, is woken up by the warmth of the fire. And he strikes Paul and somehow gets caught on him. Because snakes don't normally strike and latch on. They strike and recoil. Maybe it got caught on Paul's sleeve. Who knows? But regardless, the snake latched on. Paul shook it off into the fire. And the people on Malta go, aha. We know there are prisoners on board. This guy must be a murderer. 
and justice, he, he, he got through the sea, justice has found him. And you do just a little bit of digging and you find out they're attributing this act to the goddess Nemesis, who is the mythological god of justice and retribution. It's from that mythology that we get our saying, so-and-so is my nemesis, right? It's, the goddess nemesis was in charge of making sure that people who had otherwise escaped justice got their due, especially when they were prideful about it. So they say, okay, she's got him. He's going to swell up. He's going to die. We're waiting for him to just fall over dead, and he doesn't. And so they conclude, well, if he's not getting judged by the gods, he must be a god. And you can almost hear Luke with a little chuckle as he writes this part of the story, can't you? So he doesn't die. And here's what happens. This extraordinary event opens a door of favor for Paul. He gets welcomed. He and who knows, maybe all 276 people get welcomed into the chief man on the island's estate. He apparently had a lot of land, a large estate. He welcomes them and shows them hospitality. And it just so happens his dad's got a fever. And on Malta, you know, if you don't like these details, just you can take a real quick nap. On Malta, the goats had a bacteria. And so the people on Malta, when they would drink the goat milk, they would get this fever that operated a lot like malaria. They'd get a fever, they'd get real sick, it would go away. Six months or a year later, it would come back. And it was all because of the goats. You remember, Luke is on this island. And Luke, by trade, is a... Doctor. So Luke probably shows up in there with his stethoscope and his little medicine bag, and he diagnoses the problem. Well, I don't know for a fact that that happened, but if it did, if Luke diagnosed, Paul cured. Paul laid hands on him. God used Paul to heal this man. And then everybody that's sick, come on out. There's some dude that's crashed on the island that can heal the sick. And he lays hands on a bunch of people, who knows how many, and they're all healed. And then... Remember, refuge, rest, campfire, food. It's cold, it's raining. These people are welcoming us, showing us hospitality. But Paul is not sitting around twiddling his thumbs, getting entitled. I deserve some rest from this storm, man. I have just had it with all the shipwreck. You know, Paul's been shipwrecked, I think, four times by this point. I just love the fact that Paul showed up on this island and decided, you know what? I'm not going to let these people build us a fire by themselves. I'm going to help because I'm thankful. You know, a great way to keep from getting entitled and wasting your rest is just be thankful when those seasons come. He's gathering sticks and just look at the hand of God. Snake jumps out and bites him. Before you know it, doors are open and Paul's ministering on the island. And then verse 10, they load them up with everything they need to finish the journey to Rome. When God provides rest, it's so we can finish. He, he provides it to strengthen us. He leads us through the valleys of the shadows of death and also beside the still waters because He knows He knows we need rest. He knows us. He made us. Isn't it interesting that God designed us to need to sleep? That we're going to spend, who knows, by the time 
we finish this life, how many hours, days, weeks, months, years maybe that we've slept in our lifetime? God commands and orders rest. There's an order and there's a rhythm to the Christian life that includes rest. And God, as I think, told us in His Word, I'm going to provide you with seasons of rest. But when I do, they're purposeful. It doesn't mean that you get entitled, that you cease to depend, and that you check out spiritually because it's in the seasons of rest that I'll position you to finish the journey. So they get loaded up in Malta, all the supplies that they need. There's no way for me to cover everything in 28, so let me just sum up. They leave Malta, they go to Syracuse, right here, off uh, uh, Sicily, couldn't get it out, Sicily, they stop in Syracuse, they leave there, they stay there about three days, they go up to Regium, and they stop in Regium because they're going to have to wait for a, a southern wind to blow to get them through this little strait between Regium and Messina. There's some very treacherous waters there, all right? So they're waiting for a south wind. They don't have to wait long. They only wait a day. A south wind blows and carries them 180 nautical miles in less than two days. I think that's pretty cool. 180 miles in less than two days. They land at Puteoli, all right? They stay there, I think, seven days. They greet friends. They make one more stop at three taverns. And then verse 14... Luke says, and so we came to Rome. And he says it again in verse 16. We came to Rome. And you can kind of hear Luke saying, finally. Remember last week we read from Romans chapter 1. Paul says, I long to come to you and minister to you in Rome. And that's exactly what happens. For two years, he's under house arrest. But then Luke, Luke, look how Luke describes those two years. Verse 30, chapter 28. He says, He, talking about Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. And then I love this. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. Everybody say boldness. Has Paul been bold his whole missionary career? Absolutely. This guy knows no fear, right? He's been through all kinds of stuff. He stood toe-to-toe with governors and, and, and the Jews and Gentiles and Greeks. and He has been bold his entire career. But then watch this. And without hindrance. Has Paul had hindrance? Yeah. Lots of hindrance. Persecution, reviling, resistance, particularly from the Jews. And it's, it's like in these last, this last part, the last chapter of Paul's life, he continues to be fruitful and, and productive for the kingdom of God, but God gives him some rest even in his fruitfulness. It's not recorded in Scripture, but we know after about two years, Paul stood before Nero. Nero turned him loose. Paul resumes his itinerant ministry, goes as far as Greece, some people say as far as Spain, before Nero arrests him again in A.D. 67, somewhere around in there, and has him executed. But Paul finished. And sometime between landing in Rome and being executed by Nero, he wrote these words, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
He said, for I'm being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I fought the good fight, and I finished the race. Does this life feel like a fight? It does, doesn't it? Does it feel like a race? And sometimes we get really, really tired, don't we? Especially when we come through on the other side of a storm. And not even just the storms, but the labor for the Christian in participating with Jesus in his kingdom work. Sometimes we just get tired, right? Can I just be transparent with you? Some Sundays I leave here and I preach twice. Might have helped lead worship, prayed with some people. Maybe had a meeting or two afterwards. That happens. Been up early. And it might have been a great day. You guys showed up. It's okay to laugh. You guys showed up. People were encouraged and strengthened. And maybe even before I got all the way out of the parking lot, headed home, I get a text or an email just telling me how blessed and encouraged you were by the service. And I leave and I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I've, I've worked hard. My body is tired and I'm looking forward to the rest that's about 12 minutes from here. Okay? And I'll be in my home just thankful, happy, looking forward to the rest. And then somebody gets in front of me going 10 miles an hour under the speed limit. You laugh. That's right. That's right. It's funny. You laugh, but you know what? You know what that is? It's that part of me and that part of you that twists, perverts the rest that God provides. Because the rest on the other side of even today is not so I can be entitled and just self-indulge and check out spiritually, right? Because I'm not done. I haven't finished. And one day I want to come to the end of my life. You know, today, today is Palm Sunday. And it's the day that we commemorate our Lord Jesus coming into Jerusalem for the last time. And it's the climax of three and a half years of earthly ministry. And the apex of that is when he hangs on the cross, dying for your sins and mine, and he utters three words. It is finished. The Jesus who had not long before he said, it is finished. He said, I only do what I see my father doing. And then right towards the end, he said, Father, I thank you that I've done everything you gave me to do. He finished. And I think Paul, I think Paul had that in his mind. I'm going to depend. I'm going to trust. I'm going to be attentive. I'm going to lean on the Holy Spirit to do all of those things as hard 
and as intentional in the seasons of rest as I do in the seasons of storm and crisis, persecution, sickness. Because can I tell you some really good news? It's a lie from the enemy or from our flesh or both that says, I can't rest unless I check out spiritually. That's not true. If God is the kind of God who would sovereignly and providentially provide us with rest, how many of you understand the same power that works in and through us in the storm, God wants to use to work in and through us in the rest so we don't waste it so we can finish. You don't have to check out. You can be attentive. You can pay attention. You can expect God to lose you and can, uh, to use you, not lose you, use you to work in and through you in the rest so you can finish. Regardless of where you are, don't, young people don't check out on this and think, man, I got a long way before I finish. No, it's, it's important to learn this rhythm now. And can I tell you, when God grants rest in this life, when he leads us beside the still water, it's a taste. It's a taste of the eternal rest that is to come. Because, listen to me, if you're in the fight for purity right now, if you're in the fight to forgive and love an enemy, if you're in the fight to trust and depend in the storm, in the crisis, if you're in the fight to stay with the mission, the race that God has put you on, when every obstacle that can possibly rear its ugly head has reared its ugly head, whatever fight you're in today, here's the good news. One day, the fight will be over. We ought to rejoice in that. One day... It will end. Men, don't quit in the fight for purity. One day, the battle will be over. So stay in the fight. Keep trusting, keep depending. And when God grants you rest, lean in harder. Trust more. Pray more. Not because you're trying to earn something, but because you recognize the goal of this life it is not to have occasional random victories in the kingdom. It's to finish strong. Right? I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. And now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award me on that day, and to, not only to me, but to all those who have loved His appearing. There is a longing for that rest that's meant to motivate us. So regardless of where you are in the fight, Know this, God's fighting with you. God's fighting for you. And we're going to finish. I said, we're going to finish. Paul finished. Peter finished. And they all finished because Jesus finished. He is our champion. He's gone through death and out the other side. And because of his victory, we know. We know. He's going to bring us all the way there. Let's abandon ourselves to that, to Him this morning.
And if you're in the struggle, take courage. He's going to see it through. Amen? Stand with me. Lord, you're good. You have overcome this world. You've overcome our hearts. You've overcome our weakness. And you have given us your strength. And now, God, I pray that by your spirit, you would seal in us a determination and a commitment to trust and depend, to see this life all the way through to the finish line, whether in rest or in fight, because that's who you are, that's who you've called us to be, and we, we just surrender to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's lift our hands and worship this morning.